Sup, fellow freak shows. I'm Lorraine. And I'm Amanda, and welcome to Monsters of the Midwest. Welcome to Monsters of the Midwest, a podcast that believes R. Kelly for sure can fly, but we're still flying Southwest. <laughs> we are. I like Southwest. I mean, their boarding system is a little fucking stupid, but what are you going to do? Better than Spirit, though, right? They always be on some I, bullshit. I hate Spirit Airlines, but I digress. I am amped about this episode because I need to know... What happens next? And I'm sure all of our listeners do too, because it's just, it's been so crazy. We just recorded the episode on our Buy Me a Coffee about Trapped in the Closet and kind of dissecting that a little bit. So have have they heard about Buy Me a Coffee? I don't think we have talked about that on this podcast, actually. So why don't you tell them about it? Yeah, we have not talked about it. So we're on this thing called Buy Me a Coffee, and it is very, it's similar, almost exactly like uh, Patreon. Uh, we have one episode on there right now for you to listen to, and that's us dissecting Trapped in the Closet. It is, it is so monthly, good. I'm yeah, so excited about it, actually. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a monthly subscription program. You know, you just support us. It's $5 a month. You get access to all of our extra content, our... Um, get to know us type stuff. We release uh, our our old podcast is uh, only gonna buy be on Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, yeah, so all February first, all of our OG fans, you will be able to stream all of our stuff from Dramatic mm-hmm. Illusion Podcast on Buy Me a Coffee. That's the only place you're gonna be able to find it. Also, all my fellow Astro hoes out there, I'm gonna be doing segments on um astrology and connecting the cases that we do have like all these nasty motherfuckers uh murderers whatever cults all that fun stuff i'm gonna be doing an astrology dig down on every single case so some of you might love that if not just check it out anyways it's gonna be great yeah and it supports us so that's our little buy me a coffee spiel right right yeah and uh we are at least I am excited to hear about this next ordeal. What's what's going on with uh, Mr. R. Kelly after Ke- the whole Kells. trapped in the closet? Right, right. So um, we kind of left you with trapped in the closet. So you can check out the remainder of that. And there is some doozy pieces on our Buy Me a Coffee because I found some stuff on the dark web uh, I found some bootlegged, burnt DVDs, illegal DVDs, uh, and CDs that we took some stuff from. It's it's really good. It's um, some nice piece of nostalgia. But um, let's just I'm going to do a like a, a couple of key points, reminders, like um, just stuff we talked about on the last episode, and then we're okay. just going to jump right into the nitty gritty, the nasty, dirty shit that this case is. Um, we're okay. just going to dive right in. So, um, as we talked a lot about his autobiography, um, the solar coaster, um, <laughs> right. Yes. Um, which I'm still kind of wondering why the fuck I paid all that money for it. Um, 
when it came out. As with, the more with a name like that, you have to. Oh, I know, but uh, you know, the more I get into this case and dive deep into it, I'm like, man, I just supported this guy monetarily and just like, you know, with open arms for so long. It's just ugh, a big yikes. Anyways, yeah. but in his book, he talks a lot about um, his abuser, which we spoke about in the previous episode, which we know is his older sister, who was his yeah. babysitter, um, the one that his mother entrusted to take care of him. Um, but I didn't really dive into some of the... Th- oh, I said that he was a, a victim of sexual assault, but I didn't really dive right. deep into it. I really want to throw a heavy, heavy disclaimer out for this episode. Um, I kind of fought back and forth of how I was going to tell it, whether or not I was going to highlight the victims or highlight the acts that happened. Um, cause you know, there's many podcasts out there that do one or the other, or both or whatever. I didn't really know what, how I wanted to take it. So I'm just going to throw a disclaimer. There is child abuse. There is sex abuse. There is some things that I can't, I, I'm not good at sugarcoating things. The, the best way, the most authentic way I can be is to just tell them exactly how it is and right. th- through the research that I found. So through his autobiography, through actual legal court case documents, I took a lot of stuff from um, the New York Times and I took a lot of stuff from the Chicago Sun-Times. Those okay. were where I got all of my information from. Um, nowhere else. So that's my cited sources. But they are dark. Um so if those are some triggering uh, topics for you, I I really uh, ask you to walk away right now because this I there's no way else I can tell this except for the truth, and the truth is very very terrible. Okay. So I disclaimer received. I'm ready. And however, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully uh, the people who remain listening are yeah. You know, so. For those who are here um, still listening, here we go. Strap up. It's going to be heavy. Um, Okay. All right. So circling back to his sister was his first main abuser. Um, So some of the things that she did, she – her big thing was in his autobiography was that she was really big into him taking pictures of her, um, videotaping her. Um, with it at that time was full VHS videotape. Wow. What a task. That's how old this, right. So like he legit was being cameramen. I don't know if any of you guys out there had like a VHS tape, but like think of a VHS tape. And like at this time when this thing, like this stuff was happening, um, that recorder was larger than that VHS tape. Like it was one that you had to either set on a stand or you had to set on your shoulder, um, yeah, my dad had one. Nineteen eighty nine. I mean, that was that's this time. That's when this was happening. You know, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna post a picture of a camcorder on yeah. our Facebook page so that way people who don't know what we're talking about, which I assume the vast majority do, right? But for those of you who don't, I will I will put a picture yeah. on our Facebook I, page. I mean, eventually we got into the fact where it had like those smaller things that you would put inside of an actual VHS so you could still play it in your v- you know what I mean like VHS yes. player but this yep. was not the time this was the time when it was a full on camcorder put it on your shoulder and we also have to think he was 10 years old at this time 10 so think of a 10 right. year old trying to hold that big ass camcorder okay so I'm picturing she, it she would pose for him um and make him take like stills and like also with uh he had 
uh, I don't know. It didn't say what kind of camera. I'm assuming like at that time, like Polaroid or like the 35 millimeter film, you know, where you had to go get it. Right. Where you had to crank it and like go get it developed. Because he he took many, many pictures, like stills of her um, nude, her with some of her boyfriends or male counterparts. Um, But lots and lots of nude pics and videotapings of just her, of his older sister. Um, she also liked mm. to walk around, um, completely nude, um, with chains or necklaces or types of jewelry, like extravagant jewelry in these videos. Wow. Um, okay. and he talks a lot uh, like at length in his autobiography about how it made him feel that he had to take videos of her walking around nude with, with jewelry, just like making it look like it was a, a movie of just someone's everyday life. Although she didn't have any clothes. Um, that is so bizarre. Like, yeah. you're taking, like, rap video to the extreme. Like, was she sending them out to anybody that you know of? Or I, was it just, like, for her enjoyment? All of this I just took from his autobiography. So this is from his words. Oh, so that's... Okay. Um, later, if you guys watched um, or have interest in watching Surviving R. Kelly on the... Netflix, Netflix has three parts right now. Mm-hmm. Um, which the part one and two are actually like the surviving R. Kelly, which was the lifetime, whatever we talked at length about that in, in the first episode. Um, there is not very much talked about this, but his brothers do, his younger brother does mention it. Um, oh. because he was also a victim of this just right, as yeah. member at separate him, times. They it were was, pitting each other or she yeah. was pitting them against yeah. each other. And yeah. The um and I had mentioned in the first episode the abuse from the close family friend. So the mm-hmm. second, uh, I don't know. I want. I keep wanting to say DVD, but I'm stuck in these times. I guess for this for this. But it's a uh, the second Netflix. Uh, we'll just call it DVD for now. Uh, the the second Netflix DVD or whatever talks at length about the family friend that was inducing all the of this trauma so that okay. that's the male friend that's the one that gave him a lot of complexes of um his sexuality things like that um right. it it has uh his both of his brothers talking about what it felt like when they walked in on certain things like because that both with the sexual encounters with the male friend of the family i cannot remember his name i didn't write it down because i didn't want to like focus on that but it is listed in that that documentary series um so okay. both the sexual encounters with him and then also with his older sister uh every single time it felt like they were interrupted at least the recording like it was always like they were in mid act and then they were interrupted which oh that will connect heavily oh. with his work with it, with his work that he creates later on in life you know so obviously that was that something that makes- so much more sense. Which those who have seen Trapped in the Closet, and we dive deep into that in that Buy Me a Coffee episode, um, tune in there to to hear the rest of that. Um, okay, so, mm-hmm. you know, she's having him do these things. Well, then, as, you know, as abuse progresses, things start to, you know, escalate into let's see what we can get away with, you know. Um, so okay. then he, he had multiple times where he remembers waking up uh, and having oral sex performed on him or waking up, making him feel in a panic to where he had to be the giver of the oral sex um, in order to, 
I, I, I don't know. Just the fact of being young and woken up in a tizzy kind of like sends, I don't know, it gives me anxiety just like reading about it. But woke up like that. To be woke up and being like, we got to do this right now. I mean, no, no kid or, or person wants to be woke up like that. Nobody fucking does, you know? Um, no. But also being groomed as he was at up until this point to where it was like you're woke up like that and now you're, you are told this is what we got to do. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can't judge from his point of view, like, or, or like, I, I can't speak for him, but, and he actually doesn't speak a lot about that in his autobiography, other than he was woke up multiple times and told or demanded that he had to give oral sex to his sister. So. By, by the male friend of the family? By his sister. Oh, wow. So, like, as the abuse progressed with her, like, she was taking photos. Then she was taking photos, like, uh, you know, videos of her walking around with chains and this and that. And then um, they engaged in sexual acts. Like, it, it was like she was grooming him over time. You know, like, it progressively oh, just ex- got worse. Exactly. Exactly right. how it is. Right. Um, but the same, like, trail of events happened with the the guy friend of the family. Is what you find oh, wow. out in the second documentary series. It was like this. It didn't say whether or not they were connected or whatever. Or they, you know what I mean. It just he got similar abuse from two different parties. I guess. Right. I mean, yeah. Um, but they were very, very similar in the way but that very, they acted. Ver- Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Um. So, if you look through. Kells's work and you actually on his DVD for Trapped of the Closet he has like one little like mm, I don't know chat with his listeners or whatever the fuck you want to call it I don't know he addresses <laughs> the listener and he talks about it. it's weird because he he says things like as if um, I mean obviously there's no teleprompter but he says things as if someone questioned him like he was on a talk show or he just blurts out these answers like oh hey blah 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 yeah so I did this you know and it's very bizarre but um, he one of his blurbs he just like talks about is how he views sex and he says this also in his book that there's only two ways to have sex one is I mean in my words raunchy as fuck he wants that dirty nasty raunchy sex or it's to put some gravy in her is how he says and he gets gets a baby yeah that was yeah it mm. but he, he basically preaches that there's zero in between those are the only two reasons you have sex that's it um, and mind you, he nope. comes from a very, very religious Baptist background. I'm not Baptist. I, I grew up Lutheran. I'm not so much religious now, but I don't know enough about that religion to see if there's any connections there. So I don't want to assume isn't. things. But there isn't. I used to go to a Baptist church when I was younger. There's no correlation between that. Because I know like certain religions have um, different views on um, making children and the act of sex and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I don't want to like that. The Baptists I don't wanna, are not like that. Okay. I don't want to come across that way. I don't want to even bring that up, but just saying <laughs> that's okay. Um, so we also that's talked interesting. Yeah. We also kind of talked in the, um, episode on trapped in the closet about trauma. You had brought up some really interesting things about trauma. So it's, 
sometimes when a person goes through like traumatic things like this, like um, sexual abuse or just abuse in general, that it's been proven that depending on the level of trauma, somebody can actually mentally stay at that age that they were in when the trauma occurred and they cannot mentally move past, even though, you know, yeah. physically you're moving past, whatever. And I think um, that says a lot about this whole situation because I will give you lots of points on how he was abused from age 10 to 14 in total between the two abusers, how that mentality really plays out in his actions. So one of the, like the main takeaways was in the most innocent way was his obsession with basketball. Um, As we talked about in the last episode, his bat, like he was obsessed with playing basketball. He thought that gave him masculinity that he thought that was like his key to fame. Like he was so obsessed with it prior to meeting his choir teacher and her helping him pursue his musical career, obviously. But like, I feel like that's just another, like, and then he just, he elevated his career and just quit out of nowhere and went back to basketball. And I feel like that was him reverting back to that mindset. You know what I mean? Of the time when things were in his control. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I'm just saying in my head, that's how I see that. And, and it is, it's right for you to think that because those years, a, a youth from like age eight to 18 were the most impressionable too. So oh, like absolutely. all the, all of the stuff that happened to him, uh, the, the little girl Lulu that fell in the water and drowned and right. that accident happened. And then all of the abuse that happened and him trying to escape his, you know, childhood past trauma by doing something that he thinks is going to get him out of that city and, you know, help him start a new life and stuff. He's he's going in circles because he's reverting back to times of struggle and how he got out of it. And it's like the same exact thing over and over and over again. He right. would literally do it a third time, <coughs> I bet. Oh, absolutely. So... Going from that, I just want to take like a little tiny deep dive into some of his music. So lyrically. Uh-oh. So Uh-oh. here we go. I, I promise you it's a vanilla. It's a vanilla ride here because we. Okay. Uh, at least Lorraine knows if anybody else who knows me knows me in music and knows that I just live for a deep dive into lyrics. I live for a deep dive into just all of it. Okay. That's like. Yep. That's she, my. She sure my, does. My bread and fucking butter. So. um here, I'm just going to give you some lyrics from some of his most popular songs or whatever. And then we're just going to circle back to when I talked about um, one that he's in a 14-year-old's kind of mentality. And also, we he could not read or write. Like, he was completely illiterate in those aspects. Like, he had a learning disability in those aspects. So, I think it comes yeah. through. The, the more that I looked back, because I didn't... I personally went back and listened to a lot of his music. I listened to, first of all, the 22 songs that I had still on my iPhone at this point. I will just admit that. Um, And I go deeper later on into how it was hard for me to mute R. Kelly. And obviously, by the fact that it's saying I still have songs on my phone, I have not muted him completely yet. But um, disclaimer on on myself (laughs) there. But... um, yeah, it's really relevant. Like, it, it's really evident in his music that dude was not right. 
Um, yeah. All right. So it literally just all of his lyrics sound like he's speaking out loud. He's just word vomiting or he's just like thinking out loud and just I mean, he couldn't write it down. So I'm thinking maybe he like recorded it. Me, let, let's just say for the sake of the story, he oh. video recorded on his, you know, one of those little like recorded whatever that he's just saying, you know? Yeah, like a voice recorder. Yeah, whatever those things are called. Yeah, like little... I didn't think of that. That's kind of that's kind of brilliant, though, if you think about it. But then that got me thinking of, OK, he's done shit with like fucking Usher and T-Pain at the height of his career. And he's like when, with the same girl like thing. if you listen to T-Pain's verse and usher's verse and then you listen to i'm not even going to go into it but you listen to that song same girl remix the three-part remix okay and i want to see on the speakeasy your guys's thoughts on the the lyrical content in those three people i just want to hear you guys's opinions and i'm going to leave it at that um all right I'm I'm going to put it in the speakeasy for sure. Absolutely. So, okay. all right. So, going off that, uh, the, we're just going to start from his most popular song. Everybody knows the fucking Ignition remix, right? I mean, everybody uh, knows yes. it. People get live. Yeah, that, song is, that song is hot. So, his lyrics are, food everywhere like the party was catered. And in the video, it's literally a catered fucking meal party. So, bro. Great. Food everywhere, like the party is catered. The party's catered. Like, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Like Captain Obvious. You know, um it's almost like he's narrating his own thoughts. Uh and then he has another song where he's like, um, I'm sitting in VIP eating lobster crabs. That's off his album Black Panties, which is later than my thing with R. Kelly, but that is a disgusting ass album and I listened to some of it and I'm not even endorsing anything from it because it is raunchy as fuck. Um, oh wow. Okay. Yeah that's more of his more recent ones but it's called Black Panties and it is all sex hmm. but anyways sure. one of his things is sitting in VIP eating lobster crabs bro lobsters and crabs are not the same motherfucking thing first of all <laughs> but then you go into the video and it has like a seafood tower um Okay. There's only crabs on it, and there's lobsters on the table. So what the fuck are you talking about? Lobster crabs? It's not the same thing. There's two crustaceans on that motherfucking table. <laughs> I don't under you, you know what I mean? Like it. Okay. Yeah, I do. Mm. It's kind of like someone trying to make something work for the sake of them creating the music but it literally i don't like, know see i thought that at first when i first heard it i was like okay i but you know me like i hear lyrics and i gotta go dive deep into the video and see okay maybe there's a visual that connects to the lyrics like you know we gotta really dive into this but no it's not it's he's looking at two different things i really believe he doesn't know what the fucking difference is i think he thinks they're the same <laughs> thing i mean Wait, maybe i, I think so <laughs> Okay, so then, all right, on the, the Black Panties album that I talked about, um, every fucking song in there is so sexually explicit that I'm a very sexual person. We're both, we're both Scorpios. We are no strangers to anything in that realm. It made me uncomfortable. Oh, and, really? First time? And Welcome. I'm... 
I'm cool. Just for those who don't know, about to lay it all out there. I mean, I feel like if you went past the disclaimer, you're fine to be here. Dude, I'm fine with talking about eating booty like groceries. I'm fine with all of it, like raw dog and whatever. I it, None of that shit phases me at all. But right. that album, lyrically, made me ridiculously uncomfortable. It is wow. like... That I don't says know. a lot. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so... Every single track is, like, sexually explicit, but it's saying it as, like, you're a horny 14-year-old with your first boner type thing. Like, it's... It's so raunchy, sexually explicit that it's, like, it... I don't know. It makes me, as a mother and as an adult, feel uncomfortable. Like... Wow. Like, that's shit that that a a grown man that is not going to say. You know? It's kind of like, okay, and we're done here. Thank you. Thanks. You know? Like, it's just... That's... I, I'm gonna listen to a couple songs so I can feel your feelings. I, but I sexually I, sexually explicit songs for the most part make me uncomfortable in general, and it's not because of you know the the message per se, but it's like the delivery, like how it is, like that shit to me is private. Like don't don't get me wrong, I am good to go, but that to me. Is private, and when you make it into uh, something musical, it should have some sort of a feeling to it. But this, like, if it sounds the way I think that it sounds, and it's just like a porn star soundtrack, that to me is not something see, that I would enjoy listening to. See, but like, and that's where you and I are very, very different in that aspect because I'm like, I'm like, give me Chris Brown, take me down, like all of it. Like I am down for that nasty, raunchy R and B. I know probably all the lyrics. I will watch all the videos. Like I, that is my shit. You know, I'm here (laughs) for it. I'm ready now. In that's like you know, in my life, not out in front of people. Out in front of people, you know, I don't exude that kind of sexuality. Maybe it's like, um, oh, I want to be that type. I want to live vicariously through that because, like, in real life, I'm just not that much of a sexual icon, I don't fucking know. Whatever. <laughs> but regardless, it does not make me uncomfortable, and I will listen and sing along with the raunchiest fucking shit until it came to but this album. I don't know if, too much. I don't know if it's because I have a 16-year-old son, and I've, like, actually seen firsthand, like, the whole teenage boy... Exp- I don't know. I don't know if I... Uh, I don't know. There's so many factors <laughs> why this was just really fucking terrible. And She ugh. said, uh... It just makes me sick. Yeah. It just makes me sick. Okay. Okay. Moving along. So in his book, um, this also really kind of triggered me. So he talks about his first or first group of sexual experiences with his girlfriend. So this, this kind of makes me, it kind of validates the, the, the whole thing that I think he doesn't fucking know how sex works. Because he talks at length about his girlfriend that he, he and he had been dating her, whatever. Uh, they were 16 yeah. at the time. So this was like a new, obviously he was not a virgin, but she was. Um, so, and they had been exclusively having sex or whatever um, at the time. Um, and she started her period. And okay. he was in fucking raged with her. In fucking raged. What? He was mad. He thought it was disgusting. He thought that she told her body to do that because she was disgusted with him. And he just flipped out. Like, full on flipped out. I wish you could see the look on my face. I wish I could too. I am 
utterly confused. I am so beyond, like, that to me screams, like, toxic masculinity. Yeah. Or, like, and it's, or it's sheer really just like, not understanding the genetics of, or whatever, you know? Yeah, just not understanding what a female's body goes through because you didn't understand anything in that class, perhaps. Right. I mean, 16, you've had to have sex ed by then. And I know it was very controversial. I had sex ed in sixth grade. So when we were having it, it was kind of like cut and dry. All the boys and girls are all in the same class. And this is how the vagina works. This is how the penis works. Blah, blah, blah. End video. Does anyone have any questions? It was really like, here's all the information. Do with it what you will. So... I mean, to not understand it and and be afraid to ask questions and then have the sexual assault happen to you in the past, I can't imagine what kind of confusion he but, must have been feeling. But also, like, okay, you think about that was he said that was when he was 16. So 16 is a sophomore, right? right? So a sophomore is when he right. dropped out of high school. You know, he starts singing at the under the L or whatever. Um, yeah. But, like, the only sexual experience he had had up to that point was with his abusers. So. Right. I don't know. It was just maybe. A a lack of information, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I I, I don't know. I don't know. He didn't dive into it. I couldn't find any information on it. Like, it was just. It was clear he didn't understand how sex worked. Okay. You know? And, like, like I I said. Like I said earlier, he said, oh, well, there's only two ways, the gravy and the raunchy, you know, like, so it's clear up into his adult life, like he did still did not understand the concept of how sex works or why people had it, whatever. Um, so we had already talked about, you know, he dropped out, blah, 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 this time. So he actually started doing like touring and traveling with, um, his church and the church musicals or uh, broad, there were Broadway productions, but they were church based. So they would travel like to different churches around. Like they would, he is a Chicago native. So they would go anywhere from like Atlanta, Florida. They would do like a whole road trip of like these plays, I guess. Um, and okay. this is actually where like Tyler Perry got his, his start from. So he did the same type of plays. I don't know what they're called, but. Apparently, it's a thing. I had never heard of it until I read his book. So, um, but yeah, so that's where he, after he was like singing in the L, whatever, he started doing this because, like I said in the first episode, his mom was a devout, um, his his family was very big and very like notable in the church. The church was a very heavy thing, gospel music, um, singing, everything. Um, okay. And I actually did find some additional information on his mom that his mom was actually a very beautiful gospel singer. Um, So she music has always been obviously a thing of his life, but gospel music has very like been very high on his scale of things to do and things to accomplish or uh, maybe they do. Maybe the dude had mommy issues just like I do. So I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) I I didn't find anything about that. It it was probably a family thing. You know, it's just something you do as a family and then. Right, yeah. I mean, gospel music, I mean, makes you feel a certain type of way. I mean, a lot of it's very positive and very, you know, uplifting. Um, And we'll get into that later. We'll side side note that later. But during these tours is when he actually came across um, or met a man named Barry Hankerton. 
which is Aaliyah's uh, uncle. So for those who don't oh. know Aaliyah, Aaliyah was huge in the 90s. Huge, huge R&B queen lady. Yes. Um, so Aaliyah was 14 at the time. And Hankerton, her uncle, became very close friends with Kells because they were the same fucking age, you know, adult men, both in the music industry. Um, Hankerton obviously was like, yeah, you know, I mean, if you want to help out Aaliyah, that'd be great. You know, I mean, this is a huge, huge star at this point. He's already had multiple albums out. Like he has his own uh, record company, like huge influence can really help out his young niece. And like he thought in his mind, he was doing the, the best he could to elevate her career. Um, Aaliyah was 14. Um, so obviously Kels was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take her on. I will be her mentor, like blah, blah, blah. And he became like the lead writer, writer, a man that cannot read and write writer and producer of her very first album, which as we all know is called age is nothing but a number. Oh, see now. Oh, it's start. It's going to get real dicey. Uh, Okay. So. I'm already not digging this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is where it's going to start to. Ugh. So, uh, okay. Here we, we come. Go. We come to learn um, through his court cases that he's in right now. This was at the time, um, early '90s was not relevant. We didn't know this shit until later on. Right. Um, but he actually wrote, and uh, obviously he produced. He wrote all the lyrics for her entire first album. She had no writing say in any of it. So she's a 14-year-old kid, like, thinking this big star wants to pay for my free ride to Hollywood, um, take me on tour, have me be his opener, and he's going to write this stuff for me. He's so fucking popular. Okay, I'm going to trust him. Meanwhile, my uncle's here, so I'm safe. You know? Not. While her parents are saying... Well, we trust, you know, we trust my brother. It's fine. It's good. Everything's good. Let's go on tour. Let's make an album, you know, like this is this. Our our baby girl wants to do this. Let's do it. You know, like they were all excited to follow her dreams, you know, Um, and she's from Brooklyn. And then uh, later on, she moved to Detroit. So she's not from she's from dicey areas. You know, she's not from beautiful amazing talented artist uh actress everything i mean she was just really died way too just i mean i can't even go on with how talented she was but she was from some seedy areas you know so this was a huge fucking break for her um so now i'm just going to kind of tell you some of the lyrics that obviously we know now he wrote for her album that okay. she sang and she performed and was that it I don't want to get too many. I'll just read them. Okay. Okay. So take my hand and this is from her um ages AJ nothing but a number. This is from her title track on her album, her first album. Okay. So take my hand, come with me and let me show you true ecstasy. Boy be brave, don't be afraid because tonight we're going to go all the way. Okay, so a virgin 14-year-old is not going to throw that on their first album, right? I mean, in reality. They're just... I I mean, now, maybe. (laughs) Right, I just... But not back then, no. No, not back then. Right, so at the same time that he produced her first album, and I will let you guys dive deep into 
more of the lyrics on the first album. That was just the one that hit me a little different. Um, okay. So at the same time, like, obviously she's on tour with him and he's like huge right now. So he made a remix song of one of his very biggest hits called Your Body's Calling. So he did a his and hers remix and had her be the lady counterpart on this remix. So these are the lyrics that he wrote for her to sing, and she sang while he was in his 20s and she was 14 years old. Um, I'm wise enough, this is her singing, I'm wise enough to know when a body is calling me, so here I am, boy, my body parts are calling to you, do what you gotta do, um, you are hungry, do you want to eat? I said, my body's calling for you, and then R. Kelly says in response, um, so I'm here to come save you from all this. And oh, then what? and then there's moaning sounds <laughs> like it's I mean it's a lot. Yeah, that's right. It's I don't a lot. Like that. Yeah. It it hits a little different. All right. So this got me when I started doing research for this a few weeks ago and we had already talked about this, but I had went and rewatched some of his videos and I watched the video of this, at, um, the stuff they did together. Cause I was like, okay, I got to dive deep a little bit, you know, into that, that visual aspect of it. Cause I wanted to see if these videos that I watched so deeply in the nineties were, re- if I was seeing it from different eyes, I guess. Um, Probably. I'm, I'm really mad that when I did this research and looked into these, that these videos were available because when I went back in to set to get some screenshots of these videos today to send to you so I could hear your reaction on the pod, um, they're all wiped clean. There is yep. zero nothing zero for R. Kelly right now. Um, September 21st, obviously, his Vivo was erased and his personal. Um, YouTube was erased, but now I yeah. cannot, I went into some dark web shit and could not find any fucking thing from these videos. It pissed me off so bad. <laughs> like yeah. I got real obsessed with it, trying to do rabbit hole down in the shit. But wow. for those of you who remember, here's some points that should have been fucking red flags. It should have been. <laughs> All right, so we're going to... Did you ever see the I Believe I Can Fly video? Oh, hell yeah. Who hasn't? I mean, who hasn't? Okay. So, as we remember, there was an orchestra and a choir in this video, right? Okay, and then the rest of it, he's like fucking standing around in some corn and shit. You know, just like, oh, you know, I mean... real, real weird. Okay, so... That's that's the Midwest in him, though. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, Which is why he's such a fucking monster in our area. But... I found some facts that with the choir, no one in that choir, which you, if you look at it, it's visibly young people. No one was over 17 years old in that choir. I do remember it being like a youth choir. Yes. Yes. And the orchestra was a youth orchestra out of Chicago. Mm, That makes sense. All right. So, but from, from the unjudgmental side this is when, you know, earlier in his career, this is a very positive song. This was fucking Space Jam. This is a kid's movie. So, oh, my God. It, it's kind of like um, if you've ever seen Foreigner Live. I've seen Foreigner Live. Well, when they bring out their ballads, they bring in local youth choirs to sing the ballads of it. 
and it's magical oh, and it's wow. great and it's bringing in like you know i mean it's it's dope as fuck it's a great concept you know um yeah so we wouldn't even i mean we all looked at it like that's fucking awesome until more of this unfolded um the ignition remix uh we will talk about a two actually um victims that came forward that were in surviving r kelly okay clearly in that and were 14 years of age dressed explicitly um and and they were in they were like the video vixens of the song that oh, one shit that one i was really pissed that i couldn't find you screenshots of um yeah however Which one was that uh ignition really they were only 14 yes so oh, hell no so I did, prior to us recording, I did send you a screenshot of a picture. Can you describe this picture for me yeah. that I sent you? Okay. Okay. So this picture she sent me, it's got, it's small. So let, just bear with me here. Oh, I got it on the but dark web. Got, it was, it was, you know, we're grasping at straws. It looks to me like there's nothing but kids. And, and I'm assuming this is a concert. Right. Or some so, sort of performance. And they're like right at the front. So at the rail, front of the concert, right? Yeah. So what would you say in your opinion is, what, are, are they children of color? Are they, what ethnicity do you think they are? They in your opinion. Like, in your opinion. Of color? Well, yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay, so they're children yes. of color. Um, what would you say in your opinion, is the max age of one of the concert goers on that? Oh, girl, look, they're not even like, they might be like 10, 11 maybe at the most. They're they don't look very old. Blatantly, clearly children, correct? Yeah. Are, yes. are we in agreement no, to that? There's not a debate here. They okay. are kids. <laughs> yeah. that, that is from his bump and grind video. That is the audience that is shown 80% of the time on the bump and grind video where he's in there in leather pants or like pleather pants, shirtless with straps, like daddy straps Ew, on. What the fuck? That, I'm going to post this on our Facebook page. That is, is screaming kids that are in that video. What? I had to dive deep to find that. I'm glad I found one of the three that I wanted to show you, but those yeah. are kids. They're there is clearly, not a single adult. Children. So this is like... That's that's weird as fuck. Early in his career. And and, and nobody did anything about it. Nobody said anything. Like, this was just like, you know... Right. So, like, this to me... I don't know much of the background in his, like, you know, philanthropy or whatever. Philanthropy of him, like, serving the communities and shit like that. But... You know, fool me once, shame on you. Know what I'm saying? Like this is not this. This um, came out before. This is not unseeable, right? Like, and this came people out who are casting for this should not like this is not the audience that needs to be viewing even making the music video. It looks like that is from like oh god, what I mean, I don't know. But of a fucking it, live production of fucking Frozen on Ice. That's what that fucking looks. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a young, like... Apologetic, because like, I just yelled in the mic, because I was really excited about that, because it is fucking disgusting. It is disgusting. Yeah. Like... That's an audience that I would see, like, when SpongeBob first came out, and, like, the SpongeBob pandemonium. Like, that's the audience that I would have seen. Right. It is... At, n- at, like, Nickelodeon Studios. It is not a studio recording of a music video in early 90s for Bump and Grind, where Daddy is up there with his fucking chains and leather pants. It is not that. And for all of you who have not seen the Bump and Grind video since it's no longer available, think um, Chris Brown, Take Me Down, or Trey Song's uh, slow motion dancing, okay? Think... um, anything along those lines. I mean, I could I could go on for days, like, examples, but it is that raunchy. It is Magic Mike status, okay? That video. And those, <laughs> are, the, those are the kids. I should have went there first. But those are the kids that, you know, are in are, are the audience. Ew. <sighs> so, so anyways, um, we're going to circle back to Aaliyah at the same time. Um, just for those who don't know who she is or don't remember her or anything like that. She was born January 16th, 1975. She's from, um, she had one parent in Brooklyn, one parent in Detroit. So she fluctuated between the two. She was, I mean, thrown down in history as the princess of R&B. As we know, yeah. Kells is the king of R&B. So if that connection doesn't tell you something. um. <laughs> Which I did not know at right. first. So she was first recognized at age 10 on Star Search. Um, and then obviously we already talked about how she met R. Kelly and that's how it, it progressed. So on August 31st of 1994, she married R. Kelly in a private ceremony, um, which was quickly then annulled. Do And I remember when this happened. I remember in 94, I was in fourth grade. I remember the... Um, MTV Kurt Loder talking about how this shit happened and how terrible it was and I remember her and her like Tommy Hilfiger outfits and her sagging the jeans and the boxers yeah. hanging out like that whole thing like the twin pigtail thing I, I just I remember all of it and I remember them saying like oh well she's with R. Kelly and I remember some of my friends being like oh my god it's kind of like the Jason Momoa thing right now like everybody's like so you're thinking yes. there's a chance like Half my friends right. were like, oh, my God, now R. Kelly, he's he's not, he's taken now, and I'm so heartbroken. And I'm like, girl, like, she's our age. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> right. She, she's obviously a little, I mean, 10 years older. But still, at that, uh, she looked so young at that time that we felt she very did. connected. She, she was very, very youthful, yes. Yeah. Um, but it was, their <clears throat> marriage was quickly annulled on... Um, by her parents, actually, in February of 95. So she made it from August 31st to February of 95, married to this man. This man who's 24 and she is 14. Um, Damn. It was really? later... It was completely denied that they were ever married um, by both of their accounts. Literally, till the day she uh. died. And he still denies that he ever married her. However... The court documents were released by her parents stating that she went on, um, she said under oath that she did lie about her age um, and it was 
forged that she was 18 on the marriage certificate. So that's why it was easily annulled because obviously she lied. There was, you know, it was. Right. Yeah. It was a false marriage. Yeah. Right. And Um, and right then that motherfucker should have been locked up. Right. Right. Um, Well, at least in my opinion. I really, so it's been a minute since I've watched the Surviving R. Kelly. I really want to, so I could be wrong, so don't kill me on this, but I really think it was her uncle, Hankerson, that was the one that signed as the witness. If it, if it wasn't, nobody have your best interest at heart. I'm sorry, but that shit drives me fucking crazy. I I could be wrong because I could be like intermixing multiple cases because there's about 20, 20 some in this whole genre here but um okay if it wasn't him it was somebody it was somebody that was on his payroll so somebody was okay. in there and and was the witness and said it's fine whatever we're good um but then his um his tour manager at the time which was demetrius he came on surviving r kelly that was the first time he spoke out so that was uh 2020 or 2019 and he said, well, Aaliyah was 100% pregnant. That's why Kells thought it was the best in the best interest to get married so they didn't have to deal with that. What? There's all that with the Aaliyah business. Court documents yeah. come out. Like, obviously, she was pregnant. That was later on because up until her death, she didn't admit that she ever had a sexual relationship with R. Kelly. Neither did he. And he also paid off everybody that was on tour for him. Um, to not say a goddamn thing until what? surviving R. Kelly comes out in 2019 and the girls that were on tour all basically threw him under the bus, most literally, <laughs> and said, you know, <laughs> what really happened? Um, okay. And it's it's really tragic and I really don't want to get into it. So I invite you guys to check out that on Netflix. Um, we're going to move on to the next victim that came forward. Her name is Tiffany Hawkins. Okay. Um, so Kelly met Hawkins while he was visiting. Here's an, another disgusting point. His alma mater, if you can call it that, because he dropped out as a sophomore, Kenwood Academy, Southside Chicago. Remember where his um, he still had such a thing for his choir teacher that we'll find he decided to visit the choir practices of, of these young girls uh, quite frequently. Um, oh, Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is um, December of 1996. Um, she was a high school student and aspiring singer, um, Tiffany Hawkins. Uh, she decided that she was going to sue Kells. This, so we're going to go into like um, some facts and then some court cases right. kind of intertwined. So on Christmas Eve, she decided to sue Kells for $10 million, um, alleging that he began having sex with her back in 1991. Keep in mind, he was married to Aaliyah in 94. So at the time he was fucking with Aaliyah, he was also fucking with these other women that came forward. Okay? Oh, okay. Right, right. There's a lot of um, intertwining um, timelines here. Um, Sounds like trapped in the closet. (coughs) Right, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound a little (laughs) familiar? So she was 15 at the time, and Kels was 24, and their sexual entanglement, um, as Jada Pinkett Smith says, uh, likes to use that word, uh, went on until they were 18. And when they were 18, 
he kind of kicked her to the fucking curb and went for a younger model. So you'll learn that's kind of a pattern with him. Aaliyah got a little too old. He kind of kicked her to the curb, got a younger model. That's pretty much his pattern here. Um, Wow. So in her court documents, she claimed personal injuries and emotional damage arising from their sexual relationship. Um, she subsequently sued Kells and his manager of Jive Records as co-defendants on this matter. So basically she said his manager was helping. He had 100% part in this. They both deserve to be sued type thing. Wow. Okay. Um, Hawkins uh, stated that Kelly would encourage her to partake in group sex with him and whoever the the hell he invited along. Um, but they were all, all underage. Oh, um, wow. the lawsuit stated that Tiffany attempted suicide just two months after their relationship ended when she was 18. Um, Oh man, that's horrible. The relationship was ended by him. Um, oh, basic- I'm sure it was. There was multiple accounts, like like I told you guys my sources before, um, there was multiple accounts saying different things of why, quote-unquote, the relationship ended, but it will find it's a pattern, like I said before, uh, uh, dropping the older model for a new one, trading in the car for a new model type thing is it seems to be his, his M.O. Okay. So... Kelly, of course, I mean, uh, a man being in his business, obviously. I mean, why would you not have a shady as fuck lawyer to take care of all your shit? Um, and he, he actually had the same lawyer throughout his 25 years of court cases the whole time. Wow. Up until the end. The whole time? That's same, surprising. Same guy. Same guy. So Kelly's lawyers fight and he claimed in his book that he had a team of lawyers, but you find on you find out in the 2020 um, kind of like it's kind of like a recap documentary that's on Netflix right now. Um, it's kind of like a recap of all the like court cases that were not solved at that point. I don't okay. know. It's it, it's really dry and it's weird. And I'm a fan of documentaries. And I was just not a fan I stomached through it for the for the pod, but I mean, it just it's really fucking dry. It's really terribly put together. But anyways, you find out that um, it's not really a team of lawyers. It's kind of just this one shysty motherfucker, basically. Oh, okay, yeah, sounds about who, right. Who I'm sure is just drowning in fucking cash right now, but still. Mm. Um, so, anyways, Kelly's lawyers um, he filed a suit against Tiffany, uh, seeking out. Thirty thousand um, dollars. So, so she filed her her suit, and then he counter sues for thirty thousand dollars, and charging that they won't award her her full like promissory suit uh, due to the fact that they already fucking paid her. Basically, I don't want to read all the legal jargon. Basically, they already fucking paid her. She already was compensated for what she did musically for Kells. And we're just going to give you quiet money. Basically. Right. They paid her off. Exactly. They paid her off. And also they said that she was being an asshole and that she was trying to get more money out of him than she originally planned. I mean, they basically chastised her in the media um, for every legal thing they possibly could. They publicized very widely, like all over all media platforms, that she 100% was 
giving false accusations, this and that, which is what led to her suicide attempt. Um, oh, wow. Okay, so that that leads me to believe that, like, she is clearly the victim here, okay? Whether, right. whether or right, not, right, right. you know, what lawyer said what, she's clearly the victim here just because um, she's underage. She's and 18 he, now. But, but he painted the picture that she seduced him and she did this and she blah blah. Um come to I find out she I she was care. impregnated by him. She was impregnated and um one of the documentaries that I watched said that oh. she she was forced to have an abortion um in order wow. to gain this settlement money, which it, her initial like court case was if if you remember uh 10 million dollars. Yeah. Um, she ended up walking away with 250000 which is a far cry from that. And she had to sign a non-disclosure. It wasn't until 20... This was in 1996. And it wasn't until 2019 that she violated her non-disclosure because she said, you know what, it's... That's when they she um, joined in with the surviving R. Kelly because she said, I don't want to live a lie in front of my children. I don't want to continue to live this untruth that is not me. She goes, I realize there's going to be consequences, but I want to show my kids that I'm going to live authentically. And girl, yeah. that hit me so different. That was like, <laughs> you know, and that is in my own words. That is not a lot of this stuff I've interpreted into my own words. So don't quote okay. me on this. Um, if it's a direct quote, I'll let you know. Okay. Um, We're paraphrasing. Right, exactly. So, obviously, she was forced to have an abortion. Um, her, Not only her, but her parents were forced to sign a non-disclosure, which they did at the time, back in 96. Okay. Um, she ended up settling out of court after, like, the... There was multiple court cases going back and forth, a, a fight between, because obviously the suit was filed with her, and then her parents came and filed a suit. It was a big legal mess. Um, but in January of 1998, between her parents' suits and then her own, a total that she walked away with was $250,000, which is still not 10 fucking million. You know, it's no. Hawkins' mother respi- uh, responded in the Chicago Sun-Times uh, on the matter that the terms of the settlement made her indifferent and that she was not allowed to talk about it. This was after the fact. This was after it was all said and done. She said that she had to go to her grave and not say anything to news publications for the life of her daughter. And that was okay. in 1998. That was the last time that anybody spoke publicly until 2019 when Tiffany came on the Surviving R. Kelly documentary. Wow, that's a long time. Right. That's um, a long and, time to hold something in like that. And I just want to say, like... If for some reason this this podcast reaches the victims of this entire case, I hope that I did your story justice. And if I did not, please let me know and let me use whatever, I mean, at minuscule, at best, like whatever platform I have to tell your guys' story, I will tell it. And I am on your side and I apologize if I say any of these things like incorrectly. Because I am paraphrasing a lot of it. So just moving forward, if somebody somewhere along the line finds this, like, reach out to me and I will absolutely tell your truth the way that it needs to be told if I'm not doing it already. 
So yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so obviously, um, per usual, Kelly denies any wrongdoing. Um, also, during this court case, uh, Kelly accepts the wins of three Grammys for the song "I Believe I Can Fly," with all those oh, kids geez. singing on it. Um, right. Yeah. So. Uh, Hawkins was named officially the second victim in her, uh, in this lawsuit, and she was also prepared to testify about, um, R. Kelly's obsession, um, his sick obsession with underage females, um, just by the actions that she was forced into, the actions that he talked about, um, also the fact of the way that she was pursued when she was a freshman at high school at Kenwood Academy in the in singing in the choir, the way that he yeah. approached her. Um, she reported to having sex at, with R. Kelly um, from 1991 and on. She was 15 at the, during the, she was freshly 15 during the first encounter. Obviously when she was 18, he was 17 and a half. He was done with her. Um, so this wow. this backstory, I went as deep as I did in this backstory because this seems to be the same exact timeline through multiple victims of his. Yeah. It, it, it seems to be the same song and dance. Like, okay, you're super young. I met you here. Oh, that's ironic. Oh, my God. Now you're 17 and a half. Oh, you're pregnant. Well, we're going to take care of that. Oh, sorry. Done. Bye. I didn't what do any of this. I don't know what the fuck you're fuck? talking about. Wow. Um, really? The All the girls... All of the females, nine, end up nine of them, pregnant. I, I, I didn't dive deep into every single victim at this point, but okay. nine. Okay. I found son. I found nine solid stories that were exactly identical. Okay. Oh man, that's an mo. If I heard it, right. Um, mm-hmm. So she spent basically all of her teen years with R. Kelly in his house, in his homestead, in fucking Chi Town. Um, she sang backup vocals on his entire first album, uh, which was born into the 90s. We talked about that. Yep. She sang on every single track and was paid $300 total. What? Um, wow, that's shitty. And you know what? That's playing to someone's naive side or, you know, just how young they are. They don't know the concept of money and how much you should get compensated for what you do. Like, that's so shitty. But these compensations were what her lawyer used as like the biggest like three hundred bucks, like a uh, loaded gun in the case. So the three hundred dollars yeah. for that for a whole entire first album, no royalties from this album, nothing. You know, um, she also she also worked as a backup rapper on "Age Ain't Nothing But a Number," which was Aaliyah's album. Um, yeah. She was paid fifteen hundred dollars. Um, that first album grossed millions. Yeah. Millions. Oh, yeah. It was huge. Millions. She was at a $1,500 cutoff. You're done. He basically was like, nah, I'm with Aaliyah now. Sorry about your abortion. Whatever. You've been compensated. You're done. I'm done with you type thing. It was it was, oh. it was uh, a tragedy a sk- to listen to her story, honestly. Yeah, that's a skanky business model. Yeah. Um So, according to The New Yorker, Kelly kicked out Hawkins um, during a recording while they were in the studio um, because she refused to give him head or anal sex at the time. 
He said, get the fuck out of my studio. You're not going to be on this track. I'm done. Excuse me? Right. Wow. And she talked about that in the Surviving R. Kelly. She said, like, it wasn't just one time. It was multiple. It was um, my career was literally based on how he felt at this certain time and whether or not I appeased to how he felt. And that was her as an adult speaking about her childhood experiences with this grown-ass man. And that is a way to articulate how you felt as a child being subjected to something like that instead of reverting back to how old you were when the shit happened. Right. So that's very that's very um, brave of somebody to do. But at the same time, I feel like the way that you told me that, because I didn't know I didn't like I said, I didn't watch any of the documentaries or anything. But the way that you told me that just hurt my heart a little bit because of the way that, like, one, she got compensated for her time based on whose album she was on. So that originally tells me, like, oh, well, she was back up on a female's album. Well, she got paid a little bit more for that, even though it wasn't nearly enough. And then you tell me about, like, the sexual abuse that happened when they were in the recording studio, like, that toxicity to be around that and at that age. Like, it's just, it boggles my mind. It, like, hurts me. My, like, entire being can't even fathom or think or appreciate her level of courage as a woman coming forward, being the first victim to ever come forward on the matter. Because she was. She was the the whistleblower. She was the one. Um, I just, I, I can't even lift her up high enough because I, the level of abuse, the level of, um, abuse towards her, her parents who tried to do nothing but support her. I, I can't imagine what that must feel like, you know? No shit. And so that's why I said, Mm -hmm. like, I hope I'm telling her story correctly because that, that is a strong, badass bitch that. Unfortunately, due to this trauma, she might, she very well might not ever realize that about herself. And that I hate that. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Sure. Um, so around that time, she actually was, like I said, the whistleblower. So she brought upon um, more victims to come forward. The next victim I'm going to talk about has still never released her name because she's too terrified for. She's been threatened. She's too terrified of herself and her family and their well-being. Um, so yeah. this this victim actually was forced to go on, quote-unquote, tour with, with him, um, along with three other underage girls that were forced to please him sexually whenever he asked. They were forced to um, be woken up in the middle of the night and to give or receive oral sex. They were told they would had to do it. Um, we also talked about this on the trapped in the closet thing, um, which is kind of recreating his sexual experience, um, in his, in his trauma type thing. Um, in December of 2000, the Chicago Sun Times posted an article about Kells, um, and his manager and the multiple underage girls that had already came forward because at this point they're contacting the Chicago Sun Times because this is the only the only one that is willing to tell the story at this time. Um, Wow. Good on them. 
So obviously this started a full-on police investigation, thank God, like, or goddess, whatever. Right. Like, um, within 25 days, the entire thing disappeared. No results, no cops, <laughs> no nothing. It was gone. Wow. Surprise. It doesn't exist anymore. Even after it was in... I mean, let's think 2000. I mean, there was digital media at that time. There was Chicago yeah. sometimes was doing digital media. They had a paper printout. I mean, it was just the shit was just gone. So 2001. And, and for something that big, it would have been on like AOL, you know, right, right, in. it right. would have been like on Yahoo or what MSN or whatever it was. Right. Like your email shit when they used to give you like news breaks on like email. Yeah. Like, I mean, that whole thing. Yeah. So, in 2001, he was sued by his intern at the time, who was accusing him of um, inducing her into sexual relationships when she was only 18. So, she became an intern when she was, I found some that said she was 16, some that said she was 17. So, we're just going to go with 17. Um, But she stated that she was treated as a sexual toy, a personal object, um... And then once she was four days shy of her 18th birthday, she was cast aside like a piece of trash. And that is an, a, a direct quote. Um, he controlled every aspect of my life, um, what I would wear, who I would talk to, where I would go, um, if or not I was allowed to wear even face lotion. What? Fuck that. So this claim... terrible. Yeah. So this... Um, suit that was brought upon by her um i didn't mention it earlier maybe i did um tiffany hawkins was settled out of court obviously i didn't make that direct for the yeah the, yeah. the way lesser charge um the uh the the victim that did not bring her name apart was also settled outside of court um this is the case in 2001 that was settled out of court also as well as the unnamed victim they both um were undisclosed sums of money they were given so whether that's 0 or 10 million we don't know um okay i did look into some uh research obviously cuz rabbit holes and things um that usually when it says undisclosed sum that usually means that they walked away with nothing that usually means that they were in majority of the times it usually means that there was a threat or something said that they just basically walked away like tail between the legs walked away really i did not yeah yeah i didn't either until i looked into it i thought that was kind of interesting um that's shitty so while this all happened things got shoved under wherever um these poor victims had to you know move on with their life or or try to look at life a little differently um all of a sudden um an anonymous source sends a very explicit sex tape to the chicago sometimes i remember exactly when this fucking happened um i remember this too though 2001 it's the r kelly piss tape i mean yep anybody that was you know, teenager above remembers when this happened because it was everywhere. I mean, it Dave Chappelle, um, SNL, Mad TV, everybody did shit on this. Um, TRL, like literally every news media forum, whatever. Cartoon, had, the boondocks, had something to say. All, had some, just all had something of it. to say. Yeah. So, um, an anonymous video surfaces that shows, quote unquote, Kelly with a 
very visually young child girl um, in yeah. this video. Um, the music critic, uh, Jim, oh gosh, I was going to write that I would spell this out. Jim DeRogis. I know I fucked that okay. up, but whatever. DeRogis, we're going to call it that by the spelling. Um, reported that he anonymous, anonymously received a 29-minute videotape, VHS, um, allegedly showing Kelly with a very visual minor having sex. Um, during police investigations on the matter, it was uncovered that this was the same girl who came for came forward with allegations three years prior to this video coming out. Oh, so, man. See, you know, I just... But... It, it had to come to that because people didn't believe her or just nothing well, happened. Well, it's not that deep yet. So, the person that came forward three, three years prior actually spoke upon um, surviving R. Kelly. However, she was only featured in the first part of the video. We interrupt your regularly scheduled debauchery to talk to you about some other cool cats. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> The show really feels like just kicking back with us at home and chatting about monsters and tragedies, but having a few laughs along the way. Just like we'd be doing if the mics were off, frankly. <laughs> you can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Forever and ever and ever. What do you think? Their links are in the description, so go check them out, you turkeys. Time to agitate the gravel and get back to Coolsville. Okay. Alongside with the girl that was in the the urination video. Okay? So, oh. the first part of the VHS had a a couple of solo acts, a threesome act, and then a solo act with the urination thing which did not include the girl that came forward but the girl that came forward she is very um she speaks a lot on the surviving r kelly and she 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 talks a lot about how she was the one that found the video um it just i mean i encourage anybody to listen or watch that um because she's very thorough she's really put herself out on the fucking line to tell her story and tell the story of this girl that was never named, um, that was also on the video. Um, so this opened the floodgates of other victims, you know, seeing, oh my God, someone else is coming forward. So maybe I should, you know, experiences like it it just, it started to, everybody's contacting the Chicago Sun Times. 
Um, I wrote on here, covered in length on the R. Kelly, Surviving R. Kelly video. Obviously, check that out. Um, but this victim that I just spoke about, her name was Lisa. Um, okay. So Lisa is the one that was one of his quote-unquote, I'm just going to say girlfriends, one of his quote-unquote girlfriends who was enticed to get the victim that went into the urination video. Um, they did. They had scenes that were together and then obviously separate. So Lisa is the one that was not in the urination video, but she was also on that tape, which she helped bring that tape forward. So Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm following you. She was very, very young at the time, and her whole MO was, oh, my God, I don't want this out there. I don't want to ruin my family. Like, you know, I this is like sexual, this is personal. Like, you know, I love this man. I fell in love with this man. He told me he wanted me to bring in young girls. I listened because I was, you know, basically brainwashed. She's like, so I did. And I thought it was a thing. We did a three part, like they had a threesome. She goes, I thought that's all it was. And then she's like, I went home, you know, Oh shit. I went home and then, she was one of the girlfriends that was allowed to go home that didn't live in his house. And then she had, she had assumed a certain thing, like a certain level. So she showed back up at the, at the Chicago house and she, as any teenage jealous girlfriend would was pissed because she wasn't receiving the attention, you know? So then she went into one of his quote, this is me reiterating everything I saw. She went into one of his little like side rooms where he, cause he had multiple rooms where he hid the women and they all had different names, which you'll see on surviving R Kelly. I don't remember them. I just remember she was in one of the rooms, um, basically waiting on his ass to come talk to her. You know, I mean, she's a, a child. She's waiting on, my quote-unquote boyfriend to come give me attention. Um, as yeah, she was in I, there... I remember, I remember being that young and right. feeling th- that way. Like, like that I codependency really wants, that... wants to come talk to me. and ugh. Like, we already had sex. Like, um, he had me be in a threesome. Like, he obviously loves me. This I'm doing this for him. Like, all that type of stuff. Yeah. You and think she, that you're doing it for your partner, but he's actually using you to his benefit. Exactly. whatever, you and know, whatever situation you're in. That's horrible. 100%. 100%. And, and she's so young. Like, right. that's the impressionable age. Sex does not equal love. And at that age, that's exactly what you think. Right, right, and and yep. she she talked, and she full on went on the on the documentary and was like, you know, I didn't know any better. I just went and I sat there and waited and waited for him to come back. And she goes, and honestly, I got mad. And when I got mad and I saw things like sitting around, I started to snoop. Well, okay, uh, legit. Like who wouldn't? Who wouldn't in their right mind be sitting there like twiddling thumbs, waiting? This is a time of like. When it was like flip phones and shit like that. And like you weren't given a phone to sit. You you couldn't do nothing. You could just sit there and look at the fucking walls. (laughs) And then. That doesn't sound like fun at all. (laughs) And then one of his quote unquote employees brings in a a literal leather duffel bag of something. And sets it. It was. 
I could be wrong. It, multiple sources said different things. She said it was set in the room, and she got pissed and looked through the shit, basically. I mean, oh, okay. whatever it was, and she was basically looking at tapes, and there was, according to his former employees, there was hundreds of VHS tapes, hundreds in his house of underage girls. Well, she started looking at the names on them and she was like, well, fuck him. He's not going to pay attention to me. I'm looking for my shit. Cause I know he recorded it because wow. circling back, he recorded it and didn't tell her. It was actually a member of the staff that dropped this bag off that said, Hey boo, like, you might want to look through the shit. You know, kind of like wow. helping her out. Okay. 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 That's when she pops in the, the tape, sees the scene of those three together, sees a full-on sex scene of those two, her and him. Okay. And then she's just sitting there with her anger, and she talks about, like, how all of a sudden the scene changes. And... I'm trying to find my note because I just totally like went through my notes. Basically, she said that the other girl in the tape looked like looked like a urinal because he urinated in her mouth, in her hair, all over her face so much to where she had never seen a human body so disrespected so blatantly and so vividly in her entire life. Oh my god, what a terrible thing to watch. I And it's it's like watching a car accident, right? Car crash. Yeah. Like it's so terrible but you can't look away. And I know that she was so upset that she wanted to see, oh, well, who else, right? So uh, she also okay, I, I found where I was in my notes. She also said, this is a direct quote. I've had to help out my uncle a couple of times. And I've seen a toilet in a 7-Eleven bathroom. If she was a toilet, it would be worse off than what he leaves it with. Ew. So That sounds disgusting. I don't know what... uh, That was... Okay, that was a time when internet was just starting. So it's kind of like the... uh, so later on in life, I, I was able to see the two girls, one cup. But this is about the same time mm-hmm. as that. And that was, through mm-hmm. a, that was through a guy friend that really just, you know, had his ins on the, uh, on the explicit scene of, yeah. you know, before there was Pornhub or things like that. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's like E-bombs world. So, right. So the, like, or uh, what was the other one? Steakandcheese.com. That was a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> That was a bad one. Uh, But I don't, I never saw this tape, but I remember it was really, really bad. And I remember that the girl was very, very young. Um, So obviously the other girl involved, Lisa, that we were talking about, she just was absolutely horrified, as anyone would be, um, and she stole the tape. Um, She stole the tape and she said... I knew me taking this was probably going to be the end of my life, but I could not leave there and not have taken it because that girl's life matters. And she knows, I mean, she obviously, she just had sex with that girl recently, you know, like it was, I mean, they were both children, you know, I mean, so 
she escaped the, um, whatever room she was stuck in. She convinced his workers, whatever, R. Kelly's worker, his, his squad to, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. While she said that she shoved the tape, like as far underneath her clothing, so it wouldn't be noticeable. And she did escape with it. Um, and she gave it to somebody on his ex crew, somebody that had quit that she had trusted or during their relationship had shown her compassion, I guess. The, the name was never, never given, even through court cases, never given. Um, okay. She trusted this man and she said, you know, all I want is that for my parents never to see the disgusting things that I did. Can you please help me have a good adult life and not Aww. let this get out. Mm. She goes, I don't care what it is. She goes, I don't want money. I don't want anything. She goes, just please not let my parents ever see that I made this mistake. You know, trust the guy. It was all good. And he, he lived up to that. Um, and obviously erased that part of the tape. However, okay, good. the solo uh, game at the end of the tape, which was the urination thing, was this same guy turned that into um, the Chicago Sun Times to uh, a reporter, which, as we know, living through that, it flooded all news medias. It was just everywhere. Um, so obviously, all of R. Kelly's security team went fucking bananas. <laughs> they they outsearched her mother, her father, her threatened her life. Um, she talks at length about how her life was threatened, and she was in a room with all of them, and truly, be- like truly, believed she was not going to walk out alive. Um, and if she did walk yeah. out alive, her parents would not, because he thought that she blackmailed and she she did this as a stunt, you know, because he obviously just got out of all these cases, you know, oh, by the skin wow. of his teeth. So she thought, yeah, no or he shit. thought, this is, oh, well, you just want money, bitch? Like, okay, well, blah, blah, blah. Um, but she, uh, you know, told the, went on, on file with the police and said, you know, he had multiple very large suitcase, leather suitcases and bags filled with sex tapes, filled with VHS tapes, um, which eventually, because of her coming forward, were confiscated by the police. Um there was three, 300, 300 some tapes. Um, every girl in them was visually underage. Um, obviously, they've been reaching out, trying to find the victims of these tapes. Some have signed non-disclosures. Some refuse to come forward. So obviously, like, this man is terrifying people, you yeah. know, just forcing them. Um, <clears throat> it, so Lisa finally... She had been dealing with, you know, people in Chicago, like the seedy side of Chicago, death threats, um, you know, just like slash tires, all the like, you know, random acts of kindness as those Um, and decides, right, uh, right, that I better just call Kels. I better call him, better see what's going on. I want this to stop, you know. Um, And so she contacted if that is your last resort, you know shit is bad because that is the person that's literally inflicting all this on you. She and and throughout her all of her statements, she was 
most concerned with, I don't want anything to happen to my family because of what I did. Like it was, I, I mean, her story is so fucking heartbreaking. It literally brought me to tears watching it. it I mean, such a, such a strong female, like seriously. But, yeah. um, so she contacted Kelly and said, I'm going to admit I'm the one that took that tape, but I'm also going to admit I took that tape because I did not want my parents to find out what we had done together. She goes, I released it to one of your trusted employees, one of your security members. Um, I don't want money for it. I just don't want what we did together to come out. Yeah. Literally recorded. Literally, like that's what she said. She conducted herself as a professional adult, even at 17. Like, you know, I mean, it was full on whatever. So he said, okay, okay, girl, $250,000 for the tape and hung up on her. What? Bitch, okay. this ain't the mob. I don't have the fucking tape. I just don't want that information to get out. So I gave it to this person. So she talks about on the documentary that she was terrified. And she said that she called him back multiple times. He didn't answer. And then she finally called him back. He answered one time. He said, blah, 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 this and that, blah, blah. Like, be here at this time. You can fly here. So he flew her out to Chicago. And she arrived at his as a at his home um also she reported to the media so the media also arrived with her or like shortly thereafter um and she told him again the same exact story which was obviously the truth like this and that he went fucking ballistic on her and he said you know you're trying to frame me you're trying to do this shit um she said, I don't know if these people that I gave it to will give this tape back. She goes, if you want it back, I will get it back. But you have to sign something for me that you will take me off of it. She goes, if you want right. it for, she's like, basically, if you want it for a trophy, that's fine. But I want me erased from it. And this is VHS. You can record that shit. You can throw some golden girls over the top of that shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy to record over a VHS. Oh, oh yeah. She... Basically sat with him one-on-one and was, in my opinion, verbally assaulted by him. And just diminished, like, she, he just really fucked her up verbally. I mean, it was verbal assault. Like, it was, it was really, I'm not going to read the transactions, but it was really fucking bad. It, it triggered some trauma for me. Like, just being, that someone would talk to her that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, she says, I will take a lie detector test. You know, I will give you access to any information, any like uh, conversations that I've had with the man that is on your payroll that I gave the tape to, you know, um, she's like, prove that I don't have it. She's like, I don't have any copies. And so she took the lie detector test. She passed it, whatever. However, he pulled in the dude that was on payroll he obviously failed and he's, you know, he failed about the, the part about making copies. Cause I mean, I'm mean, this dude. I mean, this has been like a month and a half. Obviously bro has made copies. <laughs> he's already given it to Chicago Sun times. I mean, he's trying to capitalize on this, obviously. Hell you know? yeah. Yep. He is. So Kells gave a small payment to dude on payroll. Um, 
And that was for the initial tape, which he received back. So then he said, well, I'm going to give you the rest of the payroll when you give me the copies. Because you, you know, he put them on lie detector again. He said, okay, well, it's such and such copies. I will give you the rest of the settlement money when you give me the copies. Um, so this was all done with Kelly's personal accountant. So Kelly claims that he has no idea how much monetary, you know, shit was passed back and forth, blah, blah, blah. Of course, whatever. It's all in his book. It's a bunch of bullshit. Um, so Lisa then said that she wanted the tape returned, um, to Kelly. Like she threatened the guy that she gave it to. And she's like, I don't want my entire body publicly released. I don't want my, my whole image to be on like this tape. Like I'm underage in it. This is child pornography. She goes, please do not ruin my parents this way. Um, so Kelly got with his associates and discussed how they were going to handle it moving forward. Um, and how they were going to quote unquote efficiently silence Lisa at this point, because she's becoming a problem. Um, oh boy, yep, that sounds like uh, some mob activity. I don't like that. So two months after the fact that she had already done the lie detector, she had already went on record telling him, I don't give a shit, I don't want your money, I don't want this. She goes through hoops trying to get a hold of Kelly, finally does, and says, I'm fucking pregnant. Um, uh, whoops. He told her that if you, you know, I want a, a paternity test, this and that. So he sent his people over. They got a paternity test. She was, in fact, pregnant. Um, so then he made her wow. basically captive with long enough to find out if they could do a DNA test to where it was hit. And this is like in year 2000. So this is like in utero, utero where they have to like that big ass needle through your stomach to try and pull some DNA. This is when DNA was not that like on point. Very, very invasive at this point. So she basically was stuck there with him until it was proved DNA wise that this was his child. Once it was, she forced a um, very late term abortion on, on her. Um, uh, Terrible. so Kelly's uh, wonderful lawyer at this point releases a press statement saying, you know, that she lost the baby um, and that Lisa was out of her mind because she was pregnant. She took the tape. Um, she just wanted to extort our Kelly and all of his funds and that she was just seeking monetary um, gains for her and her family, her parents. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so multiple journal- journalists came forward on the uh, surviving R. Kelly, describing the tape to a T for anyone that had not ever seen it. They said this is literally hardcore porn. This is undeniable that it was a child. And this is undeniable that this is the girl in question, um, which her on the documentary, her entire family her uncle, who was the bass player for R. Kelly's, all of his music, um, came forward and said, he actually did, I don't know if you know who Sparkle is, but Sparkle was 
um, the female counterpart on basically all his albums until Aaliyah came in with the one. But like Sparkle was the, you know, the the female voice like the of all yeah. of his shit, all of his fucking okay. tracks. Okay. So the girl in question is actually her niece. Um, oh wow! Okay. So on the documentary, they pulled in. Sparkle, they pulled in Sparkle's parents. They pulled in the do- the girl's parents. They pulled in the girl's best friend. I mean, they literally had, even though in court said, oh, well, that's not R. Kelly. Like, it was, or that's not an underage girl. Like, literally, they painted the picture very clearly that that was not the case. Um, yeah. So... A fax came through to the Chicago Sun-Times that basically identified with birth certificates, this is my child, that is my child in the tapes, like, we gotta fucking do right. something about this, you know? Um, okay. It I was, mean, it doesn't matter what her age is now, her age on the tape is clearly what is in question here, and she is not of age. Right. And, and it was I am telling you that she is not, because that is my fucking child, like... How can you argue with that? It's just, it's so ass backwards. Like, how? Right. <laughs> and it was actually the the fax was sent by her, her father, um, which was R. Kelly's bass player. Um, and also, like, signed witness statements, multiple, um, it said, saying that I will 100% go on record and testify at that they had a sexual relationship and that she was 14 and it was wrong yeah um there is a very emotional um recap from her dad on the surviving r kelly where he says like he talks about how poor he was and how his daughter just wanted to be a singer and he literally thought he was doing the best thing um going into that i was sounds like a theme too going into that i feel i felt very like judgmental about the whole thing but because I don't know what it feels like to be um, a minority in a um, a dense city area and to not have means to live basically like functioning life. I don't I don't know what that feels like. I yeah okay. I've I for you know. My son is just turned 16. I have been a single mother for almost 18 years now, and I've paid my own bills, and I've done that. I literally live in my grandmother's garage, um, so I know what it's like to struggle and pay your, your own way through school and pay your own bills, and I know what it's like to not have anything, but also growing up, I came from... I I came from money. I came from the suburbs. I came from a very comfortable life. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't know what that feels like to, I do know that I do know from a parent standpoint that if my child has a dream and they are working very hard on that, that I absolutely would sacrifice anything I had to, to endorse that or help them with their dream. But I yeah. don't, I don't know how to empathize enough with their exact situation. I don't know what it feels like to be like, you know, damn near homeless in a big city. And, and you come from a big city, so and maybe you can elaborate. Damn, damn near homeless too. 
maybe you can elaborate on that a little differently than I can. You know, I just. It's, it's just um, like, it's hard to explain if you haven't actually lived something like that. It's more so like. Because city life is different you, than, than rural life. City life is three million percent different. It is very different. It there's there's more there's more period there's more there. But with um you know more business and more houses and more you know streets and things like that. It's there's also room for error. Okay, there's more drugs. There's more crime. There's more. There's more of everything. So whether or not you live in a comfortable area in the suburbs or you live in a rural area where all your neighbors are you know, different types of food you feed cows, that, that to me, it feels like in a city you grow up knowing that there's the potential for more, even if you come from nothing. So in that instance, having the opportunity to be someone's, you know, someone very successful's, you know, bass player or, you know, their vocalist or whatever... To but have that opportunity is rare. But, okay, exactly, exactly. Um, but, like, most of these stories that we've already talked about, um, it's, like, the fact with, like, Aaliyah being married off so young, with which her uncle was her caretaker, and she was very young, and she came from, like, Brooklyn, Detroit, which are not the greatest areas. Um, yeah. Chicago, not the greatest areas. They're They're very, like, you know, inner city areas. I know the the feeling of I would do anything for my kid, but I I cannot empathize with um and and I feel I'm I'm sorry this is biased but I cannot empathize with their choices on what they would subject their child with in the um, result of fame or opportunity, if that makes sense. Yes. I completely 100% agree with that. I don't I don't feel like the sacrifices that you make for your children or to raise your family should um in any way affect your children in such a like harsh reality type of thing like oh well when you're an adult you have to make sacrifices and just consider this one of the sacrifices you have to make to make it in the music industry or something to that effect. Like that's what it sounds like to me. Like, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes, but don't subject your daughter or niece or whatever to something that you in your heart know is wrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I guess I just kind of wanted to, get your take on it because you did live in an inner city like where poverty was you know I mean you grew up in fucking Cleveland that's a way different demographic than what I grew up in so I didn't know I mean you don't have um children other than fur children of your own but (laughs) I do not I mean from the aspect of how you grew up and how you were raised would you look at it differently as a as a parent No, because I I don't look at it any differently. And I came from nothing like my when I was younger. Let's just let's just get a little background on me. When I was younger, uh, my dad actually was very successful. He 
you know, when I was young, he made a lot of money being an over-the-road truck driver for a moving company. So when we were really young, me and my younger brother, we had everything. You know, we had anything that we wanted. Swing set, sure. Bikes, no problem. You know, anything that we wanted or anything that was new on the market, we got it. But as time progressed and things started happening within my family, it it made me in turn become poor because of my family's poor choices, right? So I, we ended up I feel like I'm the same too. Like I feel like just, it, it accustoms you to a life to where you think that you need to continue that life of you know, doing whatever you have to not do without, I guess. Yeah. So in in that instance like for me, it went backwards. So then we didn't have anything. We lived in a car. We lived in a place that was $150 a month with cockroaches. And it was just public public transportation everywhere. And doing your laundry at the laundromat if you had enough quarters. Like that type of stuff. That's That's the type of truth that I lived for a long time. And I know that there's major struggles. I couldn't even go on field trips. I couldn't take any like, you know any sort of extracurricular activity. I had to be home to watch my little sister. It's just things like that that make you grow as a person. But when you're really young and your parent is trying to do the best for you, I I understand. But at the same time, there is a right and wrong. There is a clear right and wrong. And if you and you, you know in your heart that what your child or your niece or nephew or whatever is being subjected to is wrong, that the blame is on you too. It's not just that person. Agreed. Agreed. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. I guess I just wanted your input because, um, I, I I didn't know if like living in the city, if there was a different, I mean, we talked about, um, hood loyalty and ride or die mentality. And I mean, different demographics have different types of, um, codes for conduct. I guess you could, you could say, you know, right. Like, like we talk about, like the, the code of the Midwest, you know, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, in, in this specific uh, scenario here, I want to just point out that <coughs> he is paying to get back this tape because he knows that it's wrong. It doesn't have anything to do with the trophy. He is literally going through the ringer trying to get this tape. And now the copy's back. Because he knows it's wrong. Right. Yeah. And that's an adult that knows that something is wrong. Um, so moving on from that, um, mm-hmm. he sends, I, I mean, I don't know how to even say this, but he sends thugs to attempt to uh-uh. take, take her life. Because of wow. this tape, because what she the fuck? because she could not produce the tape. Um, he ordered a hit on her, so that's her, clearly fucking wrong too. Her story is absolutely heartbreaking. Please check it out. God. Surviving R. Kelly, Lisa, like, please, beautiful, like, just well spoken female, just strong, yeah. powerful woman of color. Like, listen to her story. It just it's it makes me so sick. Um, and she talks about the fact where she's like, you know, my parent, like, I just wanted to do right by how I was raised. And now I'm literally, I literally have a hit on my life, you know, like it, it's, 
it's terrifying it, to go through something at a young it's age sick, like that. It's sickening, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, on the Surviving R. Kelly, multiple journal- journalists, there was five actually, that came through and kind of talked about their timeline of when the tape got released to the Chicago Sun-Times and, like, they were interns, whatever, how, like, their different aspects on it, like, what they were allowed to release, what they were allowed to investigate, this and that. Yeah. But the the common ground of all of them was shit's not right. Shit's not right. No, this doesn't no feel kidding. right to me. Um, you don't say. However, on the outside, his fans, his employees, Kels himself... Everybody was denying all the accusations, um, filing his glossy ass lawyer was flying like fly. Um, he was filing multiple suits of slandering saying, oh, well, he's terrible. He or like, this is terrible. He's blah, blah, blah. He's such a family man. This and that. Literally everyone in the fucking universe knows that he's not. And this guy is like, you know used car salesman slapping the top saying, this is a solid ride here, guys, you know. Um, everybody's <laughs> right, just yeah. trying to ruin him. Blah, 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 just needs an oil change, that type of thing. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. Right. Um, so they pulled back in on the on the documentary. They pulled Sparkle back in, and she gave her whole testimony, which is also just equally as heartbreaking as Lisa's, um, because yeah. this was her niece that was in the video. Um, like I said before, her best friend, which her name is Raven. Um, they did basketball together. They grew up together. She talks on there and she's like, she goes, I'm going to tell you guys right now. I don't, I don't have anything to say other than I've seen the tape. That's my best friend. My best friend is unable to speak for herself. So I'm here speaking for her, you know, and it's just, it's just fucking heart wrenching, you know? Um, I'll have I'll have to watch for sure. So Kells goes on every news media um, outlet that will give him fucking minutes, basically um, denying oh, sure. this, saying like, "Oh, I'm being chastised, I'm being slandered." Um, even at the point like where he was accused of rape, he's like, "Oh, well, they're just trying to ruin my career, this and that." You know, all the all the same song and dance. Um, yeah. But what is really bizarre to me is that, um, and I found this on the deep dark web uh, about this tape because I did not get, I did not see this tape. You know, I did not see what actually was said, but R. Kelly like literally based his whole thing was, that's not me. That's my younger brother, Carrie, which, which in, which in the, well, his younger brother, Carrie, who also was abused, blah, blah, blah. Um, which, oh, that's which, right, that's right. which in the third part of the documentary, um, the one that came out in 2020, uh, Carrie talked about how ridiculous these claims were. Right. Um, so anyways, <laughs> he said, that's not me. Me and Carrie look alike. Sparkle basically went on there and she was like, I fucked them both. They don't look alike. It ain't him. <laughs> it ain't his dick. Like, stop. That's my fucking niece. Like you're, you're ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, wow. And just, um, just put put all your shit out there like that. Right. And then she goes <laughs> and fuck off to my brother and his wife for allowing this shit to happen to my niece. My niece has had the same haircut since, you know, 1999. Like it just I mean, she put yeah. it on blast and she was just really defending her niece because her niece was 
so far like drowning in non-disclosures that she couldn't even stick up for herself you know um right it oh god it was just it was terrible the the news coverage on this was absolutely so fucking bizarre because r kelly was like oh my god that's not me that's not me it's my little brother that's not first of all why the fuck would you like throw your little brother under the bus the one that you guys talked about, which he talked about in like the first four chapters of books that of his book that that was the only reason I survived is because I had my little brother and we were uh, a unit and we just we worked to it together. And then you're about to do this, like the biggest accusation of your life, where there's actual video. Uh, you're like, oh, it's my fucking yeah. brother. It's Carrie. He definitely did that. Well, oh my god, it, it's just so fucking aggravating. <sighs> I would definitely agree with you on that. It's it's frustrating for his brother because All now of it. he's got to get roped into this even more than he already is. Right. Now he's, you're saying that it is me? Like, come on, dude. Also, during the video, um, there is somebody that's yelling, Kels, Kels, pick up the phone. Kelly, Kelly, pick uh, up the phone. While he's... Literally has his dick. I mean, I'm just gonna be blunt. Has his dick in her mouth. He's like, there's somebody yelling, oh saying, God. "Pick up the phone." So he's engaged in a sexual act, and there's someone literally calling his name in the VHS tape, and wow. he's still claiming it's not him. He's saying it's his brother. Solid. So it's a solid obvi- defense, right? So obviously, <laughs> like this tape was bootlegged real fucking quick, distributed. Um, oh sure. Sold to Wendy Williams. She, I mean, literally everybody covered this video. Like we already talked about, and, like SNL, and, like yes. Mad TV, fucking Dave Chappelle. Everybody was covering this fucking video because the person that released it, that he's, you know, his whoever the fuck employee, he leaked it to everybody. So you could walk, there was people saying like, you could walk on the thrift market of like Southside Chicago and pick up this bootleg on VHS for like six bucks. Like, and it was called. That's how we used to get our CDs. Right. We used to go to the corner store and just go get a bootleg. Right. Cheers to your dad that was going to beat up the corner store uh, Indian guy. (laughs) Yeah. Right. For the uh, Dr. Dre 2001, right? <laughs> like, it, it was, yeah. Right. So, um, so bootleg, obviously. Then Hustler picked it up. Then it was a whole thing. I mean, this is be- this is oh, before. Yeah. This is when you had to, like, walk in the back room of, like, Blockbuster and Family Video to get the explicit shit. This is before you uh, could, like, yeah. just watch it on Pornhub type thing. So I used to work at a movie store and we did have a curtain for 18 plus. Right. And yeah, that was real embarrassing for everyone involved in the returns. Right. Oh, I bet. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. Looking at his fans, obviously no one fucking believed any of this mess. This is all nope. just terrible. Um, the level of fandom and following the cult following that he had just spoke volumes. Um, how easily people were so dismissed of all of the allegations. They were like, this is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. They're just trying to bring him into media. And then they're like, well, well maybe he's trying to bring it into media. So we love you. Like, it was just, it's fucking sickening. Um, they literally. Yeah. yeah, I remember all that, all of that. And then Boondocks, mm-hmm. the Boondocks, it's an animated show. And they actually did a whole episode on that court, that court case. 
Dude, fucking Can't South do. Park did did the fucking and app. South Park. Literally yes. all of them. Like yep. People literally watched a grown man, like people that were well versed in how porn worked at this time, watched a grown man urinate into the mouth of a child and all over her chest and continued to do nothing but purchase his media, purchase his CDs, support him. That's all the so while, strange. All the while, he's still being booked shows. He's still being. He's literally still being on the fucking VMAs, which were like the like coveted spot of that time. I mean, that was the yeah. VMAs were like you know everything. That they were it. Yeah. So in April and May of two thousand two, Kells was sued by Patrice Jones, who um, again he impregnated and was forced to have an abortion. While she was underage. Um, Dude, he, what the fuck? Man, somebody with a, you know, condom company just he, throw he, some at him. Right. Fucking where you at, lifestyles? Shit. Like, you Jeez. know the teenage, you know the teenagers are grabbing the lifestyles. But, uh, <laughs> cheapest, cheapest round to grab. But, um, so, um, also at this exact same time while, um, Patrice Jones is, is suing him. And the jury is literally still in deliberation on the urination tape. Yeah. Literally the same moment R. Kelly is on stage singing um, I Believe I Can Fly at the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City in 2002. Wow. As he's walking off the stage is when someone grabbed him and said, we got to have a chat. Like, let's go this way. Yeah, no People, shit. I mean, I remember the Salt Lake City Olympics. I mean, 2002, I mean, I, you know, college, I remember yeah. that. I'm not a big Olympics watcher, but I remember that Olympics, you know. It was, I mean, it was a huge thing, too, because the number one R&B artist of, you know, the 2000s is going to be up there singing. And, yeah, it was right, a huge thing. Right, Um. During the same time as he's up there, there was um, a victim named Mata- um, Montana Woods who also sued Car Kelly for alleging him of videotaping her while – oh, I apologize for the pronouns. At, now it's them. So for okay. videotaping them, I apologize for that, um, having sex without their knowledge. Um, this was also oh. on the bootleg compilation of R. Kelly Triple X – Porn, whatever the the one that was being sold in Chicago at the flea markets. Um, God damn! What a wild, both wild thing to say. Both Mon- <laughs> both Montana and um, Patrice also were settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. Um, June of two thousand two, R. Kelly uh, was indicted in the Chicago Hall of Fame. Um, all the while, he was. Uh, he was he was also brought on charges four days later for child pornography um, in relation to the sex tape that was a few years prior with the um, the victim we already talked about. Um, so he's in the Hall of Fame and also being pulled on trial for child pornography. Perfect. You guys yeah, are doing great. All at the same time. Right. So that, that's kind of what I like talked about in the first episode like he's doing all this shit on the outside but behind the scenes there's a lot more going on 
Yeah. Um, no kidding. Obviously, he pleads not guilty for this um, accusation. Um, he is released on a $750,000 bail. He immediately runs to MTV two hours and 12 minutes later and does a <laughs> full disclosure, um, full video um, interview. Uh, wow, that quick. He received $2.1 million for that interview. So oh, he so paid paid for him to get out of there. Paid paid for his bail. Hit seven hundred fifty. I mean, I'm not a math nerd, but seven hundred fifty on bail. Million. I mean, ugh, Jesus. Like so, he's compensating for failing. Like for you know. Oh my God, so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, jury ended up concluding that there was insufficient evidence. He could not. They could not rule one way or the other. Um. Oh, wow. Yeah, it goes on and on. Um, He eventually was arrested on 21 counts of pornography charges with minors. Um, More than five years later, he was acquitted of all counts. So, yet again, fucking free. Um, Damn. And that was huge, like Napster, when Napster was out and people were just downloading whatever. One, it was like pe- people were getting busted for child porn, like really bad around that time. One day of jury deliberation, one day, and they decided he's innocent. He's fine. Wow. So uh, one year later, January 2003, he was arrested again in Miami, uh, 13 counts of child pornography. Um, police uncovered 12 photos. These were actual like digital photos that were printed off by a um, whether it be the printer or he went and got them printed. So, um, recently he was arrested on the 21 counts of yeah. child pornography and uh, less than five years after this indictment, he was acquitted on all counts. So this man has been in and out of court cases for, at this point, 20 years. 20 Jeez. years just... This and that. Um, And we haven't even gotten into how his wife felt or how she took on the whole the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that would be a great next um, buy me a coffee. Oh, that could be. I think. Yeah. I mean, let us know on our socials how you if you guys want to hear Andrea's story, because Andrea's story is very interesting. And she also had three kids with Kels. During the time all this happened until she finally um, was able to gain the strength and the the notoriety to walk away, you know, to pull her children away from the lifestyle they knew and whatever. Um, But I I watched a lot of interviews with her and it talked about um, uh, the depth of her pain trying to appease her children and say, you know, daddy's not that bad. Daddy's not that bad. Meanwhile, he keeps getting himself in court over cases that had to deal with children. You know, I mean, that's traumatizing for sure. It's, and I've also read her book and it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I would, I would love to speak on that. If you guys are interested in that, like definitely, um, Hit us up. Let us know. Because, I, I mean, I will throw that on Buy Me a Coffee for sure. We can we can dive deep into that. Um, that sounds good to me. And I, 
And I can send you some edit, uh, like the editor's notes or whatever, right? And we can we can definitely discuss that okay. that whole book okay. for sure. But yeah, I, there there's so much to this case. Um, I just I kind of feel like this is probably a good stopping point because I feel like what we've already thrown out there or what I've thrown out there is a lot to dissect and a lot to marinate on at yeah, this point. For sure, you know and. Uh, I hate to tell you guys, but we thought this was a two-parter, but I think it's a three. You know, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to leave you guys with these balls that are a, a very slight shade of blue, you know, because <laughs> I hate to do that. I, we we both really hate to do that. But yeah, join true. us next Tuesday when we finish out this this court case and also dive deep into the bump and grind cult because oh yes there is more oh man the, the r kelly sucks cult wow which is not surprising it's really not now that like all of this information is out there it's not as surprising as it would have been to me if you would have just said that in the beginning i would have been like say what <laughs> But now that right. all this all this information is out, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, I get that. I mean, I I'm taking by like your responses to some of the things I'm saying. Like, you had no fucking clue, like I that didn't. it was this deep. I, I mean, I there's a lot. I literally I w- thought it was the tape, and that was it. And I literally was like blind blinders. I had no idea. I still don't. What? When I said a bitch was excited to talk about this and I got a lot to fucking say, I was not, I was not holding out. I I mean, there's, there's a lot to fucking say. And this man is still on trial right now. So this case is ongoing. Um, you know, I mean, there was the whole Mew R. Kelly thing that happened at the same, um, Me Too move, like Me Too movement, like, which, which the, the Mew R. Kelly did fucking nothing for his cult following, but, I, I'm kind of excited to see the fact that I tried to do a little bit of like research today and the fact that he's slowly being erased. I'm, I'm, he is being erased. It's wild. I, it hasn't even been that long. It's, it's very, it's wild in the fact that like the last time we recorded, like, you know, what, eight days ago, that how much is erased at this point, like with, within an, an eight day factor, like it, yeah, I, I kind of love it. The more that I'm <laughs> like looking into and, and being a diehard fucking R. Kelly fan uh, for most of my life, like, okay, let me be honest. From the moment that I heard him, like being a diehard R. Kelly fan, like everything about it, um, I'm fucking glad that he's you know being being a, a member of his cult following. I'm I'm glad that. He, the impact is coming from the victims. Yeah. Uh, good for them. And I, like I said before, I'm reaching out if any of the victims for somehow find themselves on the algorithm of finding this podcast, I am more than elated to tell your story. So yeah. absolutely reach out to me. Um, reach out to Lorraine, whatever. Uh, tell them the socials. So if they come across us. Yeah, for sure. So our 
our social media is uh, very bleak and small. But you know what? We're doing it ourselves. So our Facebook is facebook.com slash Monsters of the Midwest pod. Uh, because Monsters of the Midwest is taken, I guess. So I had to make uh, our own. But facebook.com slash Monsters of the Midwest pod. We frequently update it. We put different pictures of things that we're talking about on there, video teasers of future episodes, and the podcast episodes in their entirety. Our Facebook page also has a group, and it's called Tuesday's Speakeasy, brought over from our first podcast adventure. And we share a lot of things. Uh, We just created a a community for people to communicate about our episodes, uh, share memes, share funny things, um, just get to know other people that, you know, might might have the same interests, if you will. No. And I, I love all the I love all the um, interaction we have on there too. Like we see we see you fans. We were a little quiet for a little while, but yeah, we see you. We're still there. We're still there. We still we're, love you. Yeah. And then uh, also, I do want to touch on the buy me a coffee. Uh, we're going to add more on there, obviously. We're just starting out. If you want to support us as a podcast, whether you're friend, family, you stumbled upon this uh, because you're caught up on all your other stuff, we have a buy me a coffee. It's five bucks a month. You'll get exclusive content and you'll help us do more things for the podcast. So those are our two uh, main points we want to touch on. And let's not forget the most important, right? Oh, well, I was actually going to add on to the buy me coffee. So um, Lorraine has not even been um, told about this. I have done um, an extensive birth chart analysis, synastry chart on both R. Kelly and Aaliyah, um, which is going to be exclusively on buy me a coffee. So all my fellow astro hoes out there that want to deep dive into their birth charts and why the hell they acted the way they were, why were they attracted to each other? Um what the fuck did the universe say that brought them together or the outcome that could have happened because I assure you her death and other things are in her birth chart. And it is a puzzle that I am more than excited to tell the story of. Um, nice. See, I didn't exclusive- know that. Yes, I know. I was trying to save it for you. I was trying to save it. <laughs> um, also, Apple Podcasts, guys. Yeah, come on. Apple Podcasts. Um, thank you for the members that have already um, left us five-star reviews. We really appreciate that. Yes. Um, thank you to my um, teenage son and his friends who have also left us five-star reviews and okay. some a couple of comments. But the way that we boost up on algorithm if, is if you leave us a comment. Um, it doesn't matter if you say you love us, you hate us, whatever. If you just post an emoji of your favorite food, it doesn't matter. Whatever. Please just throw it on there so we get boosted up the algorithm so other crime aficionados can hear us too. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yes, we do. Always remember the code of the Midwest. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go anywhere alone. And lock your damn doors. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>